be there one more Sunday. Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 36 this morning. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to say uh, thanks to Joe. If you haven't noticed, if you'll go right out this door, just right here in this corner, Joe did a really good job. Uh, put some, uh, some tongue and groove up and put some shelving up over there. And so we have a nice little resource center over there for you. Uh, if you go look over there on the bottom shelf, there are a bunch of resources that are free for you. Uh, take those, use those as you lead your family. Uh, and then on the top shelf, there's just some books and some recommended reading that, that Joe and I want to recommend to you guys for 2020. Uh, those books are available at cost. All you have to do is just grab one and find a staff member and just, uh, you can pay for those. If you can't pay for those or afford those, just grab one, okay? Uh, we don't want to keep that from anybody, but it's just our way of trying to help you grow in your faith, lead your family. Uh, and again, Joe did a great job because that looks really, really nice. So he hates compliments. So when you see him after church, put your arm around him and say, man, Joe, you did a really good job. Rub his shoulder, mess his hair up, you know, Pinch his cheeks, you know, whatever you want to do to make it worse, okay? Luke chapter 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 36, and this is what it says. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Uh, Father, be with us now as we look at this text. Uh, again, I, I pray that you would help us see our need for you. Uh, the thing that, that would change um, all of our lives, Father, and, and especially the lives of believers in 2020 as they, as, they, as they try to grow in their faith would be to see and recognize our need for you. To recognize that, that we owe a debt that we cannot pay that Jesus paid on our behalf. And that, Father, when we see that and we understand that and we get that, Father, it melts our heart, it changes our heart, Father, and it gives us a heart that says, I want to live for Jesus because of what Jesus has done for me. So I pray today the gospel would be seen, uh, that you would save in this room, uh, and that, Father, you would um, take those of us Christians 
uh, Father, who tend to forget this sometimes and just gently remind us of what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last three weeks, really, since Christmas, we've just kind of been looking in the book of Luke. And, and the reason we've been doing that is because we've been looking at just different stories of our need for Jesus, right? And we've looked at different kinds of people. And so we looked at the shepherds, and we talked about how the shepherds were looked down in that society and that, that people would have uh, never in a million years thought to announce the birth of the Messiah to a group of shepherds. But what we have to do is understand that, that we are the shepherds, right? That, that we're no better and that we need Jesus just like they did. Last week, we, we looked at the story of John the Baptist being in prison and him doubting and wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? And, and sending messengers to Jesus saying, hey man, are, are you the one? And Jesus responds that, yes, I am the one. And he begins to explain who he is and what he's come to do. And if you remember, all the tax collectors and sinners who are around Jesus declared God just, saying that, that yes, that Jesus is the one who comes to save and, and he's the one that does these things, while the Pharisees thought, well, yeah, obviously they, they need Jesus, but, but not us. And, and what we tried to do is remember that, that, that we need Jesus, the Pharisees like us, the religious people like us, we need Jesus. And the thing that will change everything for us in 2020 as Christians is when we recognize our need for Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, like the whole chapter, and I really encourage you when you go home to, to read the whole thing, it deals with four different people in four different walks of life, and it shows how God's grace comes into their life. It starts off by, by looking at a centurion. And then it goes into a widow and her son who had died. And then obviously John the Baptist and the tax collectors and sinners around them. And tonight, or this morning, we look at this sinful woman. Now, now to, to understand this, you need to understand some of the practices and customs that took place in Jesus' day when it came to hospitality. Hospitality was probably one of the, most, one of the greatest virtues in the ancient world. Uh, it was a virtue that, that reflected on what kind of person you were. Like, like you could be called a whole lot of things, but you did not want to be called inhospitable to people. And so typically when, when people would come over to your house in the ancient world, what, what would happen is, is that uh, it was customary that you did a few things. So, so first they would come to the door, the host would place his hand on, on the guest's shoulder, and he would then offer a, a kiss of peace to the guest who came in the house. The next thing that happened were the sandals would be removed and, and your feet would be washed, right? I think this one kind of gets lost on us sometimes because we have concrete and asphalt and, and we weren't walking around in dirt and poo all day, which is what they were, right? Camels, cows, you know, it's all over the place. And so you would come in, you would remove their feet and they would clean your feet. That was important. That was refreshing, okay? And then hopefully you washed your hands when it was done. I, they didn't have hand sanitizer, Dinner guests were also anointed with a touch of olive oil as a way of saying, hey, you're valued, you're welcomed, we're glad that you're here. Now understand those things because what happens when Jesus comes over to this uh, Pharisee's house is that none of these things happen to Jesus. He doesn't get any of this customary treatment, right? So look at verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. 
So the man Simon was a Pharisee, which means he was very religious, he was very moral. He not only acted like he was better than you, he was better than you, okay? Uh, you got to get that. The Pharisees were better than you. When it came to rule keeping and law keeping and morality, nobody did it better than these guys. So when it came to externals, these guys were the cream of the crop. They were really good people, all right? And so they acted like it because they knew they were. And he invites Jesus over to eat. They're eating, they're talking. And homes in those days were square homes, right? And in the middle, they were built around this central courtyard where they served the meal. And the guests would then recline at the table with their left elbow, and then they ate with their right hands with their feet sticking away from the table, okay? Remember, we've already talked about this poop. It was nasty. You didn't want your feet anywhere near it because feet, feet are nasty, right? The wealthy people, and especially the religious leaders, when they had these sort of meals, here's what they did. They would open all the doors and all the windows in their homes all the way around. And they did that so that people who were uninvited were free to stop by and just kind of wander through the house and just listen in on what was going on at the conversation uh, at the dinner table. Right? It's a really pretentious sort of thing to do. Because, I mean, of course, the ordinary folks want to come in and listen to these important people talk. But I guess that's what they did. So on this day, people knew Jesus was in attendance. And so I'm sure this house was packed. I'm sure there was lines all the way around the house, everybody trying to listen in to, to what's going on in Simon the Pharisee's house. When out of nowhere, right, in Luke, I like the way he writes. If you'll notice what Luke says right there in, uh, in verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman of the city, a sinner, shows up at this meeting. Now, most scholars will tell you and most people believe that this woman was more than likely a prostitute. So she was looked down on the society that she walked in. Um, you can imagine everybody's probably talking out loud. There's all this buzz, right, as, as everybody's whispering as they listen to these people talk. And all of a sudden, this woman walks into the courtyard. She stands over Jesus' feet, and all of a sudden, it got deathly quiet in that house. She breaks the jar of perfume over Jesus' dirty feet. She begins to weep and she begins to kiss his feet. And then she begins to dry them with her hair. Now for her to do this, she had to let down her hair. And that was a big time no-no in that culture. Again, another thing that's lost on us because our culture is so sexualized, we don't even get what's going on right here. But a woman was not allowed to let down her hair for anyone but her husband in the privacy of their bedroom. That was it. Jewish law said that women could be divorced for letting their hair down in front of other men. Like that was like, hey, you're looking for a reason to get rid of her, right? Just pull the bobby pin and say, go home. A lot of rabbis said that a woman letting down her hair was the same as a woman exposing her breasts in public. So, so there would have been shock at what was taking place here as she lets her hair down and she begins to wipe his feet. It would have been like an episode of The Office. Any of y'all ever watch The Office, right? And sometimes like, it gets really uncomfortable. Like you can't watch or, or maybe you've seen somebody have a fight in public, like a husband and wife, and you're like, oh, this is awkward, right? You're at dinner and it was really, yeah, that was what's going on. It, it was really uncomfortable to watch. R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. He says, consider her tears. This woman has been living with intense guilt Having broken the seventh commandment, she was guilty, and her culture let her know it wherever she went. But now her guilt was gone, and the crushing burden had been lifted from her shoulders, so she wept. She'd been given a virgin heart, 
She felt pure washed. Her life had been one of constant rejection, but now she was accepted by God. Her tears were tears of both ongoing repentance and ongoing joy. And what I love is that Jesus is not bothered by this at all. Jesus didn't have the moralism that many people have. Right? Jesus didn't go, well, I know where you've been. Right? Because that's what we do, is that a lot of times we look at the outward sins and we judge people based on what we can see and we ignore the inward sins of the heart that each and every one of us carry. Especially as good Christian people because we've gotten really good at covering up the stuff on the outside, haven't we? We've got it all shined up. I heard a song one time where a guy said, most of my sins are secret, so I only hurt myself. And then he said, that's the ballad of a man who slips away. Because we've gotten where we can hide them so well. So what we do is we look at everybody else's outward sins and we point a finger. And that's exactly what Simon did. Is, is he's appalled at, at what's happening, right? Look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. So in his mind, he's going, man, that's disgusting. I mean, that woman's a whore, for crying out loud. Jesus has no idea how gross she is. If he had any idea of what kind of sinner this woman was, he would not let this woman touch him. He wouldn't do it. And so Jesus is God, obviously, and so he knows what Simon is thinking, right? I think that's like the greatest thing that Jesus was able to do in the Bible, it's just say, hey, I know what you're thinking, right? And then everybody gets all embarrassed because they're like, oh, you do? Really? What am I thinking? Then in verse 40, Jesus answers him. And Jesus answering said to, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So like I said, Jesus knows what he's thinking. So he's like, hey, Simon, let's, let's have a little conversation. Let me ask you a question. Simon, sure, what's up, Jesus? And so he tells him a story about, about two men who owed money to a moneylender. So one owed 50 denarii, the other 500 denarii. A denarii was just a day's wage. So one man would have to work 50 days to pay his debt. The other would have to pay, work 500 days to pay his debt. Both men are in the exact same boat. Both men owe money. Just one owes less. But neither of them could pay their debt. So the money lender cancels the debt of both of them. So Jesus says, all right, Simon, which of the men will love this, this guy more? And Simon answers correctly. Well, obviously, the, the guy who owed 500 denarii. Jesus is like, yeah, good job, all right? Way to go, smart guy. You went to school. That's great. Then turning towards the woman at his feet, Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. 
you gave me no water for my feet. You did not do anything, but she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since she came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. So therefore, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus looks at her. He tells her, your sins are forgiven. And I love the reaction to the people in the room because they're stunned because they're, they're like, oh my gosh. I mean, like, who is this guy that he can look at this woman? They all knew who she was and he can forgive her sins. And then Jesus tells her, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace, leave, go in peace. And what I love that Luke is doing here is he's showing the contrast that Jesus draws between this woman and Simon. Yeah, Simon, yeah. She's 500 times the sinner you are. Absolutely she is. You are a lot better than this prostitute is. Yes, and amen, we agree. You've been very good. You've been moral. You've kept yourself from the lifestyle that she's engaged in. Way to go. You've made better choices. But you're still a sinner. You may be better than her outwardly, but Simon, inwardly, you are just as bad. So one debtor owed 50, the other owed 500. Who cares? Do you see the point of the story? Neither one could pay. Simon, you may be better than her, but guess what? You still can't pay for your sins, dude. That's the point. Brothers and sisters, that's every single one of us in this room. Right? What does Romans 3.23 say? We all know it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all broke. We have no way to pay God back and be forgiven for our sins. None. But boy, don't we try. Don't we try. And we play the same silly little games that Simon plays. As we walk around and we do it by going, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I don't lead my family like he does, or I don't raise my kids like they do, or I don't do the things that they do, and so therefore I'm better than they are, and so me and God, yeah, we're cool, it's all right, and right, we gloss over our own sins. Well, I'm from a good family, we go to church, we're moral, so somehow I'm acceptable to God, somehow I've paid my own debt. And see, the Bible tells us over and over again that it's not enough, that we're all debtors. See, the major difference between this woman and Simon was that she realized she owed a debt she could not pay. See, this is what the cross is all about. No one could achieve the perfect life necessary to stand before God and say, hey, look, I did it. Sin affects every area of our lives. Listen, no matter how good we are, it still affects our hearts. But the gospel says that Jesus chose to die the perfect for the imperfect, so we could have life and be accepted by God. Simon was blinded by his need for salvation, by his self-righteousness. But the woman, by God's grace, had her eyes open to see her sin. And see, this to me is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, is that it's only by God's mercy that we're made aware of our sin. If, if we have the ability to turn and see how sinful we are, it's because God has lifted the veil from our eyes to say, look at how sinful you are. 
And see, what Luke's done in this whole chapter, and like I told you earlier, I encourage you, go home and read it today, is he's tied it all together by showing the one thing that we need to be saved, and that is to see how sinful and unworthy we are. So at the first of the chapter, you had a centurion who recognized he wasn't worthy enough. You had a widow who was poor and lost her only son and had nothing to give, and so she threw herself at Jesus. You had all the people hear Jesus talk about John, the tax collectors and sinners, who realized that they needed Jesus. But the Pharisees thought that they were above all of that. And so the point of the passage is this, is that do you in this room know that you're a sinner? Do you know that your sin, listen, no matter how small it is, keeps you from God? That the thing God demands from you and from me is perfection. And there's not a one of us in here capable of giving that to him. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus says if you realize that you can't do it and instead look to me, I can. I can save you. I can do what you cannot do. All you have to do is cry out to me and say, I'm a loser. Remember, Luke is for losers. All you got to do is say, I can't fix it. I can't save myself. And Jesus says, I'll give you my perfect record so that when God looks at you, he will no longer see you. He will see me. And see, here's the beautiful thing about that, is that when you do that, you will be like this woman. She wasn't weeping and washing Jesus' feet because she was trying to earn his love. Listen to me. She was weeping because she sees her sin for what it is, and she realizes that Jesus has forgiven her. That's the way that we change. Listen to what John Stott said in his book, The Cross of Christ. He said, our sin must be extremely horrible. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. For ultimately, what sent Christ there was our own greed, envy, cowardness, and other sins. And Christ's resolve in love and mercy to bear their judgment and so put them away. It is impossible for us to face Christ's cross with integrity and not feel ashamed of ourselves. And then listen to this part. Apathy, selfishness, complacency blossom everywhere in the world except at the cross. There these noxious weeds shrivel and die. There they're seen for their tatty, poisonous things that they are. For if there was no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness except that he should bear it himself in Christ, it must be serious indeed. I love how he puts that, is that it's only at the cross that complacency dies. That's what happened to this woman. See, when she realized that she was forgiven of much and what Jesus has done for her, her response was then to make a fool of herself for Jesus. She no longer cared what other people thought. She no longer cared if people thought she was a freak or taking this Jesus thing a little too seriously. Didn't matter to her anymore. All she knew is that she was a great sinner and Jesus paid her debt. That was it. See, forgiven people love Jesus. Forgiven people love Jesus and they love Jesus' people, the church. Mariah read this is the first of the service, 1 John 4, 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
See, it's love for Jesus. It's love for his gospel that transforms our hearts to make us a people that love Jesus with all that we have. And when we love Jesus with all that we have, it causes us to love others too. And see, why I bring that up is because when we do that, we, we, we don't become like Simon. We, we don't walk around looking at everybody's externals and judging them for it. Instead, we become the kind of people that say, you know what? Although their sins may be great, Jesus is greater and he can forgive that. And we find a way to speak into that and love them and care for them and to share the good news of the gospel with them. And what causes us to do that is to realize that, man, your stuff ain't no better than theirs. So let me ask you, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that your sins are many? No matter how clean your outside looks, do you realize that there are things in your heart and your mind that none of us can see that if they were displayed on the wall today would embarrass you to no end? Do you know that you are a sinner? And if you say yes, then listen, do you then know that you've been forgiven? And if you know that you've been forgiven, are you now growing in your faith? Has your love for Jesus and what he's done caused you to grow and to be more like him? So here's the good news about 2020. Right now, I I could stand up here at this point and say, all right, here's how you're going to grow in your faith this year, guys. And I could give you a list of 17 things that you need to do. So you need to wake up at 5 a.m. You need to spend two hours in prayer. An hour of Bible reading, right? You need to get in a discipleship group. You need to, and I could just go on and on and on. I could give you all these things that you need to do. And listen, studying your Bible, prayer, being in a discipleship group, are those good things? Yes and amen. You should do those things. But here's is, is that if you're not doing those things out of a genuine love for Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, about three months from now, that resolution is going to fall off. If you really want to grow in your faith in 2020, is you need to remember every day how sinful you are. You need to remember every day that there is a disease inside of you that you cannot beat on your own. And you need to be reminded that the only way you've been saved is through Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness. And when you see that Jesus would save somebody like you, then what happens is is your heart begins to change because you begin to love Jesus because Jesus loved you first. Not because you're trying to earn his love, not because you're trying to do a bunch of things to impress him. It's because he loved you when you were unlovable. And that'll change everything for us. Listen, I'll close with this. I may be a pastor, but I need to remember that too. I said in an older pastor's office last Thursday, and I cried like a little baby. I'm not a married, I'll, I'll just tell you. And a lot of it was because he had to point out to me that my greatest problem in 2019 has not been other people, it's not been um, my job or you know, my family situation or anything like that. My greatest problem in 2019 was Byron. Because I failed to see that I'm a sinner in need of grace. I failed to carve out that time with the Lord where I sat at his feet and just listened to him. And it was the craziest thing is when he poked on that, all of a sudden I'm on the, just, yeah, you know, you're right. We all need to remember that. That we're saved by grace and grace alone and that'll change everything for us in 2020. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for everything that you've done for us. Father, I, I pray that we remember now that the way that we grow in our faith 
His father is, is by turning our eyes upon Jesus. I love that song because when we look full in his wonderful face, then the things of the world all of a sudden just become so dim to us because Jesus becomes our glory and our prize. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that today that they would realize their need of grace and mercy and that every day of 2020 they would remind themselves that they're sinful, that they owe a debt they cannot pay, but that Jesus did it for them. And that meditation on the gospel would melt their heart and change their heart and give them a heart that loves you because you first loved us. I pray for anyone in here that does not know you, and I pray that as the gospel was preached today, that blindfolds were taken off for people to recognize their sinfulness, to recognize their need for you, and that today they would respond in faith and trust you, that they would not leave here until they talked to me or a friend saying, hey, I came in here without Jesus, but today something has changed. And they'd get that settled. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've given us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.